My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you are enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. This is your host Patricia and today I am sitting down with Carrie Fair. Carrie is a brand and marketing maven at Stated Marketing. Welcome Carrie. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to talking to you all week. Absolutely. Me too. I'm really excited to climb through what you do um, as well as some of your history. For everybody listening, um, first of all, you can contact Carrie via her website, statedmarketing.com. And also a quick roadmap for today's podcast. It will follow the same trajectory as all of the podcasts on this particular series. We'll first look at Carrie's academic background and early professional life. And then we'll look at unpacking stated marketing and other current endeavors regarding nonprofits that she's involved with. And then we'll turn our attention towards goals that Carrie has both for herself professionally and possibly personally. Um, for the next three to five years. And we'll wrap everything up with advice that Carrie may have for those of you looking to emulate what she has done thus far with her career or perhaps get involved um, with her company as it is now. A quick bio on Carrie before I start peppering her with questions. Carrie is the founder of Stated Marketing, a marketing consulting firm partnering with small and medium-sized clients to create smarter, insightful, and compelling outreach at every stage of the funnel. Inspired by two entrepreneurial parents and governed by efficiency and efficacy, she was attracted to the rules of supply and demand and the challenges of everyday business. She received her degrees in economics and MBA and went on to consult locally at lo at, in San Diego before joining the team at HP. She worked across elements of global integrated marketing before heading up uh, both marketing and education at Nordic Naturals. In the years since, she has grown her own sole proprietorship, focusing on assisting emerging and national brands to find their purpose and state it clearly and simply every day. And Carrie, I think that, that the last um, little tidbit there in your bio is so key and crucial, and we will come back to that because it's kind of this, um, this major point that people you know, in marketing know to drive home and brand identification. But before we get into those particulars, I'm hoping you can kind of elaborate on your academic background and early professional life. You got a degree in economics and an MBA. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that time period and the early professional life following that? 
Sure. Um, and I'll even back up a little bit farther, not not to bore you with the day I was born and the rain coming down, but um, <laughs> more that um, when I think we're around four and five uh, Mac SEs came out, and this was 1989, and that idea of having a Mac and being able to create cards with a dot matrix printer became my passion at five. And so there were a stream of carries carrying cards that I think my family would all rather not have received. Um, <laughs> but between, I think just growing up at that time with computers becoming part of school and part of how we did our homework and the creativity behind it, I yeah. think got me excited about it. Um, Cause there's both a rigor and there's an efficiency with using the computer, but then there's also just, you know, endless creation. Um, Mac paint in particular <laughs> was a favorite. Um, so I think that led me both to, um, you know, going to college and really not sure where I, which direction I wanted to go, but wanted, you know, smattering of everything. Humanities obviously had its interests in terms of, you know, the storytelling, what you can learn from the past. But then the economic side just felt like the right tools. Right, I can gauge, you know, where something, you know, supply meets demand, as we've noted, where it makes sense to do something, and where there might be a rational element. Um, unfortunately, we aren't all rational, um, and so, you know, that only it speaks to one portion of the picture. But I think that's where the business degree came in, and mm. was lucky enough to be part of Rady's first class. And so we had a really, really great two years. You know, the school was just getting started. We got to create the clubs. We got to make the connections um, in a really small cohort. So it, you know, it felt new and exciting. And um, what appealed to me was, you know, really the consumer behavior side. What makes people tick? Um, the psychology behind it. And how do you pair that up with a great product coming out and a person's needs and making sure they, you know, they click. Um, I never, never really been as interested in sales. I always felt that that was um, an irony of having a business called stated is I don't really like to state a lot. I like to find the <laughs> way behind, yeah. but I think marketing allows you to find really that value proposition and what makes something different and then intrigue the customer. Um, and so that's where I headed within kind of the MBA and, um, you know, just throughout school, I think just really had the opportunity because I, I didn't do the traditional of leaving and coming back. I was lucky enough to kind of vicariously see what, you know, the rest of the cohort had done um, and get internships that way. And so kind of jam packed, you know, the education side. And so then, you know, trying to use that as a springboard upon, you know, leaving. Well, and in economics, you have micro and macroeconomics, right? And you look a lot at trends and things that it seems that have affected um, what your current company kind of delves into. How much of that affected your emphasis in an MBA? Were you able to look at and kind of marry those two together? Or did you revisit kind of your economics studies later on? Or was it just kind of a foundation? It's a good question. I think the economics helped with in terms of, you know, the mathematical side of it being able to, you know, I, I, correlation and causation probably come up more than anything, right? And in marketing, we're always trying to assess what the ROI is and attribute it back, right? Um, and a lot of that skills in economics and your, your regressions and being able to plot it out and figure out what the formula is, I think it gives you uh, a bulk direction. So it may give me 80% and then intuition has to kick in for the rest. Mm -hmm. So I always go back to 
you know, what's rational and again, not to use that word, but to, again, looking at marketing elements is what makes the most sense? What has been proven with insights in the past? What do we have the rigor behind? And then using the last part of the creativity. So I think, you know, macro trends, incredibly helpful in terms of, you know, what's happened, what probably is going to cycle again. Um, but I think the one thing that it drove me crazy is that anything quantitative or statistical, it only works in mass, right? So right. Really, I know if I have 100 people, one of them may be affected, but that means nothing for me doing it, right? My, my likelihood is, is independent of that. So there was a limit to which I think was, you know, econ helped, but it definitely gave you a basis. And also, you know, it's, it's just hard, right? There's so many different ways you can go with any type of profession, um, but creating any kind of product, any kind of marketing. And this just kind of gave a little bit of a path forward to say, here are at least, you know, three of the 10 steps you'll want to take. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to climb into some of those with you. Just briefly touching, um, I want to go back, but first I want to kind of put out there talking about our ROIs and return on investments. You can get very um, litigious about it. You can become very concrete and use, you know, analytics, but then there's a lot of disparity in how we're measuring things. You talk about correlation versus causation. And I think a lot of us want to believe that Google Analytics and things like that, that we're measuring a lot of our marketing <laughs> dollars towards are in some way causation. And they're all, at least from what I've seen, and I'd love to climb into this with you, that's very much so correlation, you know, and 2 million views or likes does not e equal $5 into the investment fund. I mean, there is like, there are certain things that I think there's a lot of um, new marketing tools that people are correlating with things and don't have the causation um, behind it to say this is related to that or we can see an uptick due to this. However, I think there's a lot of people who are, um, you know, false prophets out there telling and guaranteeing that they can move things with um, interpreting analytics of that nature in um, darling ways, but don't necessarily relate <laughs> to causation. But before we climb into all of that, because I love that field and I love what you're doing, um, I want to get like, so your early professional, after you came out of your MBA, did you kind of start to suit yourself towards the company you would build or did you sample things? What was your early professional life? Sure. So during school, I'd worked with GE, which was really a great foundation of you know, how does it, one of the largest companies do it? How do they make smart moves? Um, and really like to like that at a, at a huge scale, obviously there's a lack of, you know, autonomy within that, but perfect as you're new and, and growing and learning. Um, and very grateful for being able to see that. Um, so I took that and then I actually consulted locally, um, with that of actually my parents' business as well. So right out of school, kind of putting it to the test of what do I know and um, can I actually do it and go from the theory to the, the applied, which is great. Um, and that led into um, getting, you know, getting a career at HP and not knowing where that was going to go. But what was fantastic is came in on the marketing operations side at HP and again, another huge company and just the opportunity to learn from some of the brightest out there, but also just, uh, you know, purely selfish, but they've got access to more resources than anyone else, right? Sure. Yeah. You can work with agencies that are doing, you know, done this for years or top tier world-class was always a word we were using. And, you know, it's just being surrounded by people who are experts in their field uh, was incredible, right? And 
the opportunity to really see across all of marketing um, and, and delve in, right? What does PRAR really mean in that setting? Um, you know, what are you know the best internal communications? How do we rope, you know, and create global campaigns? Um, and so it, it really fed across that and just the chance to, yeah, to see that on different product lines, what it means globally. Um, yeah. That, so, yeah. How long were you there? Was there eight years. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. What a good chunk of time. Yeah. Did you form stated marketing out of your job straight from HP? I didn't. Um, in between, I left HP and actually thought I would thought I was moving home back to Santa Cruz um, and and found a great opportunity there at Nordic Naturals. They're an omega three company, um, as well as other supplements. Really moving from A to Z now, um, and had never seen anything about fish oils. Uh, really knew very little, but um, the opportunity to kind of learn and and personally to want to understand the space of being able to pick up. A product and understand the back of a label was, hmm. you know, incredibly motivating. Um, and so that was a, a fabulous chance to come into a family owned business. Um, have been around 22, 23 years, leader in their field, um, and to understand the science and how much, how crazy we are as humans. Because yeah. while it would be difficult to get all your omega 3s just by eating fish or, or avocados one could, but instead we go to this wild effort, you know, to catch the sardines, to take them to the right place, put them through this incredible system that, you know, purifies it, to pump them into little, you know, capsules and then transport them back to you just so you can have them in your tub to have every morning. Mm -hmm. um, so just like that, the back to kind of being really interested into the psychology of why at the end of the day, like we're much more ready to, you know, eat that capsule or you know, take that tablespoon of cod liver oil versus eating our salmon dinner is uh, fascinating. Mm -hmm. Social but, programming, right? The, the right. Of, of the aughts, at least of this um, century. I agree with you. It does flip things on its head. I love um, business endeavors that cause that, you know, when you, when you endeavor on a new enterprise or a new industry and you kind of, everything gets resorted. It's not just this trade across of tools and skills being used, but a whole new world that you kind of get opened up to. So um, how long were you with the, uh, the fish oil? What was the name of this Nordic? Sure. Yeah. Nordic naturals just under two years. And in that time it was, it was great to see they had, you know, obviously been doing marketing for a, a great while and we just had the opportunity to come in and, um, you know, grow the marketing team, uh, take some of the things that had seen more, at, you know, the, the fortune, you know, 500s and the structure that comes with that and the differentiation, the specialization um, and grew that team about to, you know, 25 and really put in that, you know, rigor we got to rework the website, um, you know, create really standardized social, get into blogging, tap into the expert educators we had um, and share that and, and create some really fun campaigns with the team. I mean, I think that's selfishly, you know, one of the things that's hardest about going to, you know, consulting or others is that you lose that like team you love to be around every day and just the ability to have an idea and for it to ideate in everyone's brain and come back so much stronger. Um, so we we did that, you know, did across all your uh, your natural product expos, um, practitioner level down, and um, you know the company's really 
been growing has got incredible international reach. Um, and so, you know, good things. And I think that overall, you know, the statistic then, and I believe it's probably still true, is about 91% of people don't get enough omega-3s right. or even know what omega-3s are. And so their mission is to change that. And I, you know, when I work with companies, that's definitely something to look for is people that are, you know, on the road to, to make our world a better place. Yeah, and those communities are fantastic. You know, health and nutrition communities, um, for the most part, in, in in the the bulk of that I've run into, all the way from startups to the very actualized ones. You know, um, I think that their method and their mission is 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 seamlessly kind of thread throughout the company, and that is the health of you know the human species, and that's fun. You know, it's nice to work with people that care about <laughs> humanity a little bit, and um, the things that you went around. It sounds like towards like the trade shows in different places, you know, speaking in different events. Um, it's cool. You know, it's a vibrant, fun place where everyone's very excited about what they're doing and talking. For those of you listening that haven't gotten involved, um, drop in on any kind of an expo or a trade show because the energy alone, any kind of a startup <laughs> event or anything, it's just fantastic, you know, to have people very um, exuberant about the knowledge that they're doing and sharing and what they're doing. It's, um, it's a great way to look at life and, um, and work, you know, in your job environment in general. So I imagine it was a fun two years. Well, I want to climb now into um, state of marketing and I want to get in first the, um, the, logistics, like the nuts and bolts. So um, did you found it alone or were there other founders? Did you take funding? When was it launched and what was the impetus for the launch? Sure. Yeah. And um, so great. 2008 launched it by myself with that thought of, you know, was already kind of doing consulting on the side and helping folks and that normal thing of, hey, like <laughs> maybe this can grow into something more or, you know, also to be very candid you know, if, if one of these companies I work with, maybe they'll grow back and I want to go back 100% with them. And, you know, it's always in the back of my mind, too, of, you know, where things go. But um, there are really three things. And again, it, it's you know, it's a common theme here of wanting to work with great minds, um, wanting to be challenged. I think that fear of stagnation is there. And so really just other people and that inspiration and, you know, always that there's someone else who's far smarter in the room and more to learn with, you know, you just kind of gravitate to those people. Yeah. Um, and so wanting that opportunity to see that across different entrepreneurs, to be able to partner with different folks. Um, second is working on products I care about. Um, I know that I, I market things better when I use the product or I understand the product or someone I know uses it versus, um, you know, a more nebulous thing. And I, it's probably, why also sometimes B2C is a little bit more intriguing or even tangible products. Um, you know, some of the, the cloud, their B2B and, and cloud are great. Um, and there's obviously a component of it. But sometimes it's just nice to pick it up and feel it and taste it or do that. So um, that's the second. And the third was, again, back to this, you know, we all have a certain amount of time on this planet. Um, Want to be doing something that brings me joy. and um, I feel a bit, a bit like the Marie Kondo, but like, you know, you want to get up every day and, you know, really feel like you're in, in the right, you know, in the right space and, you know, not knowing what will come when you're 60 or 70 and you retire and being able to, uh, selfishly <laughs> get that in earlier and, you know, have that, have really enjoy the day. 
Absolutely. So. so when you started off, was it just you or did you have a couple of hires? How is it structured? Sure. It's just me still. What I do though, is I do partner with other agencies. Um, so a lot of, you know, past connections, either, um, you know, surplus work or we'll, you know, tackle a client together. Um, so it's also been a really nice way to engage with a lot of colleagues from the past. Um, so most of it is, you know, self-initiated with my clients, but definitely teaming up with others. Um, and then also being able to tap into the network, right? When we need a great design guy, you know, here's the reference and, you know, being able to pull um, that together. So it's in more of an informal network, but still, still on my own. That's awesome. And what is, so is because you have this kind of totalitarian um, power over <laughs> what you are and represent, right? Do you, have you navigated, have you developed, did it always start with the same ethos? Because um, branding and strategy and all of that is very much so a part of the talent you're hiring. You know, I always advise um, people looking into marketing or talent. I always say, did they sit well with you? Like when you took a meeting, did you feel very connected? Because regardless of whether or not they're going to reach in and try to bring out their client, there's going to be a little bit of that person in there as well. That's their, you know, it's their technique. It's their own personal mantra. Those types of things will seep into what they're doing. And so I'm wondering if you yourself found yourself kind of developing um, even a niche, if you get into industry as to who you like to work with or just an ethos to your company. Sure. And I, I think it's still evolving. Um, where I've found that it's kind of falling into two tracks is one, because we have so many interesting startups here in San Diego, there is a natural, you know, and, and folks are looking for help. So it's a good time to come in. Um, that also in the startup community, right, you are so stretched, especially if you are starting this up and you're wearing so many hats, like someone else who can come in and say, hey, okay, great, there's a 100 things you can do let's do these first five things. You need a website, you know, you need to know how to talk to your customers. Um, you know, great if you're on social, you've got to have community management. And so that has been one side of it is helping startups, you know, just get that package together, right? Um, we need to come into the world, we need to have an identity um, and get that going. So that's been one side. And then the other side is for more of the mid, you know, mid-market, mid-level and kind of growing um, companies that have reached maybe, you know, they've plateaued a little bit. They've either need now to hire a marketing team and they're not quite sure how um, they're in transition with their current marketing team or marketing director and kind of need, you know, a refresh um, and, or, and or they just need an outside thought of, hey, you know, it's 2020, um, we've got all these things going, what else should we be thinking about? Um, so on that side, it's a lot more of just kind of consulting and ad ad advising at that higher strategic level, whereas a startup is, you know, getting, get dirty, let's be writing blogs and doing a lot of, you know, copy design, et cetera. Yeah. Do you, do you have an area that you prefer? And also, do you have an industry that you work more with given your history? Is any of that connected or is it just kind of the wild west? You know, I, I looked at my client list and I would say there's a, there's le less in common than, uh, than that meets and marries them together. Um, it's, you know, across high tech products, health, um, fitness, nice. um, you know, energy and, and a, sh a smorgasbord. 
Um, so right now it doesn't, and that's partially because I like variety. Um, and, you know, I, I think where there does become some linkages is it's through referrals, right? And that's where you see a little bit more of a common denominator that, you know, folks are either doing one or the same. Um, again, kind of probably there's, I guess I like, I like them all as long as I can back to, I can understand the product. Um, yeah. I think it would lose me if I started to, you know, needing to sell uh, PZ electric cells or, you know, something else that just doesn't, that it, I can't speak to as well. So. Yeah. I'm wondering, given your, I mean, the fact that you have kind of, you know, gone the gamut and everything else, it makes you such a key feature and an expert to ask about things more um, micro issues that come up a lot for um, startups as well as more seasoned companies alike. And that is this, you know, with the advent in the aughts and now in 2020, with the fine tuning of social media and social media marketing coming into brand um, and all of that, you have darlings, Instagram was it, it's supposed to be out now, it's going to be all about YouTube <laughs> and Twitter. You heard it here first. <laughs> this is what I've been told by all of the um, Gen Zers that have been in my ear lately. However, um, what I'm curious about with you as someone who's this um, great expert in analysis and looking at brand and the elements of brand and strategy within that, I'm wondering how much you find there to be um, importance in one platform of social media and also this concept of continuity. So I've been told recently that the, that one of the greatest um, efforts that people try to convince a startup or a small company of is that there's very little differentiation between the founders and the brand. And so the founders, um, social media presence, you know, if those two are mixed in with the launch of the startup or something like that originally, those two things have to start marrying. And I'm wondering what you think about that. And then I'm also wondering if you think that one social media platform has more power over another one, or if you trust analytics from one that you don't trust on another, mm. and how you feel about some of that. Good question. Um, so I think social media, just the, the term elicits more groans from clients and probably myself alike. It's, it's such a love-hate relationship for folks, right? So on a personal level, we like sharing stories. We like, you know, to like someone else's photo, right? It's a nice way to be part of that lurking 90% who, you know, just is a voyeur on there and looks and, and doesn't say anything, but you absorb. And the next time you see a friend, you, you, you can relate. So there's a personal side to it. Um, you know, there's also the personal side of privacy and all these issues. Um, and then there's a the brand side of it, right? Trying to cultivate this look and feel and tone and you know this kind of aesthetic that you aspire to um, at the same time that the platform really the algorithms mostly prioritize personal things right so you're already having a brand stretching on a platform that is not made for it organically so we've moved pay to play which has been another really hard point for a lot of brands is yeah. you know just now it's, it's just as you used to have to, you know, pay to, or you do still have to pay to be in an advertising in a magazine, you now have to play on social. Um, and there's a lot of disgruntled, um, just, I think, users because people had, you know, the, the freemium model kicked in. Um, so there's that element on it in terms of addressing which platform works. I think it, it really varies by who the target audience is, right? You look back at the demographics and who's using Facebook. Um, and, it, you know, trending older, we are seeing, you know, 
if, if it's the parents or things, um, it's also a better platform to share certain types of content, right? Mm-hmm. Instagram, beautiful visual, but if I'm trying to have you read, you know, my latest consumer report, you know, the, in, the link in the bio is just not, it's not a gr- seamless model. Um, however, if I want to sell a dress from China and it looks great on the model and I can buy it for nine bucks and get it shipped to me and find that it is two pieces of cloth sewed together with about three pieces of thread, mm-hmm. it's fabulous, right? Because I bought into this image. I didn't know the whole brand story, but it allows me and you just use that example because it is such the visual thing. And I'm not doing a lot of the deep dive. Um, and I didn't want to, right? I'm I'm sold with the three-click method. And so getting sales on Instagram has been great for some clients um, right. because it's low, you know, it's few clicks. It is, you know, it's moving down that funnel very quickly. Um, and so they're, they're different, I guess, different platforms for different things. Um, the fact that Facebook owns Instagram and that folks will say, I hate Facebook, but I love Instagram makes me chuckle every time. Sure. Um, so the metrics on that back end, obviously, I mean, if you look at it, the interface on Facebook has a lot more detail. The Instagram metrics, you, know, you pull up on your, your phone, you're, you're very limited. However, if you do your advertising on the back end, you're, you're pretty much able to, you've got much, you know, many of the same features. Um, YouTube, YouTube and Pinterest are incredible. I mean, I think they're rising and, you know, you know from the video side of things, that there's is that element that people want to be able to see. Um, but also it's really that pull. So we talked about push and pull in marketing, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, think about the Instagram ads, it's it's really pushing in your face, right? I don't know, I know a few things about you. I mean, know you're female and you like um, you know, trees. And so I show you a, a shirt about nature. But the difference is on Pinterest or YouTube, I'm saying, hey. How do I, um, you know, screen print this T-shirt? Or how do I, um, you know, how do I bake these set of cookies, right? And it's really, I'm expressing what I want to do on it. And that is a really cool feature, right? Because A, it gives you far more information about the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, but B, it's then able to surface exactly what you want. And I think it cuts down on the frustration of folks scrolling through their feed and seeing that couch great while I'm buying that couch. After I bought it, I do not want to see another picture of a couch. A, I see that the price has dropped and it makes me very angry. And then C, I see a couch that I probably would have liked better, but I've already bought this one. It's too late. So I think that there are benefits of some of these, you know, really the the searchable platforms, um, as well as how great is that medium when I can watch a 30 second video and figure out how to program my remote control versus you know, the either surfacing a web page where it may have ads set it in, it may be a pain, it may not actually show me, it may just be words, um, or trying to find it on Instagram. I mean, that would be a real challenge. Right. I agree. I think that it is product specific. I do like the kind of benevolent, if you will, tone that I do get from um, some of the platforms that you're calling more of like this, like going to it. People, you know, coming with a brand or something and willing to share information, um, people who hold information hostage make me want to die, you know, uh, so and yes, those yes. are about free knowledge and free sharing of information. And I think that that states expertise more than anything else, at least for myself as a consumer 
or um, a student of those platforms. I'm wondering, um, on a like a, a more of a like logistics or um, algorithm basis, how much do you uh, find that you tweak your marketing or branding for clients based on um, Google Analytics or any of the analysis that you can kind of pull down from change after you change things? Do you find yourself listening a lot to those or do you have other measures that you go by? Good question. And I think the analytics is a great one. If you've got it set up from the very beginning, kudos to you. Um, I think most brands maybe come at it at some point. So there goes back to needing a statistically significant portion of time as well as, you know, covering certain seasonal trends. Um, I feel like a lot of times when we look at the, the Google analytics or we look at Facebook, we, you know, you need a full year's worth um, or I need something and you may not have that. Um, I think again, it's good for directional elements. Um, you know, the analytics in general to see if my web page is spiked. And I think Google, you know, Google's nice in that visual that I can say, ah, okay, on this day I ran that campaign, that makes sense. Um, and I see most of it's coming from, you know, coupon barn picked it up. And so I'm seeing it through that. Um, so it does have some nice, again, not, not full attribution, but you, you, can, you can connect a few dots on it. Um, I think Facebook on the back end, I think we probably don't give things long enough time. You know, a lot of folks will, will pump in, will run a campaign, say, for, you know, three weeks. And after a day, an ad's not performing. Um, so may pull it, right? And I think that, again, we need a little bit more time. It's very hard because digital, one of the huge benefits, right, is that I put it out there, I can pilot eight, you know, three things, and if it doesn't work, great, I can change. Mm -hmm. We may not have quite enough time to surface that, um, and it's probably a, a caution I use across all brands is that we will tire of our own campaigns before someone else will, mm -hmm. um, and because, especially on some of the social platforms, we strangle or the platform algorithm strangles the reach so much that those early numbers probably need a little bit longer. But that said, um, the ability to, to pilot and have that A, B, and C is really very cool, right? So I can see in real time and, you know, after a week, definitely say, okay, A is the leader. Um, but we saw that it had higher click through and our actual, you know, goal is, you know, reactions. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change to that. Um, so we definitely use it in terms of, um, you know, going back to the goal, um, being goal oriented. And I think those metrics make sure that you're not waiting a full year before you do something better. But I, I guess, and maybe it's the, the cop out answer. It's great for some things. I wouldn't rely fully on it. And I definitely don't think that someone else picking up the analytics without knowing the context of what's going on in the company is, is going to be enlightened by it. And I, I, would, I would seriously caution just sending out your analytics and getting a report back on it um, because there's just so many things. I mean, it could even come down to um, we were testing it internally and we didn't um, screen out our IP. So yes, there were 50 more hits that day, but that was actually Carrie sitting at her computer, you know, yeah. refreshing five to 50 times. So right. I, I think helpful, but you need to know the whole picture. 
Absolutely. That's a really good point. I agree with that. Um, looking forward over the next three to five years, if you are this kind of an individual, and I say that because I've had a lot of pushback lately from a lot of people saying, <laughs> I don't do that to myself and I wouldn't do that to you. But if you do set goals or for um, your business or personally um, with your own company and um, speaking with people and brand expansion and things like that, do you have goals for um, your uh, both yourself as well as um, we haven't touched yet on your nonprofit work. I know that you um, are involved with San Diego Food Bank and a couple of others. Um, so I do want to touch on those, but looking forward at your goals for your company over the next three to five years and the nonprofits, do you have like a horizon you can um, elaborate on for us? Sure. I would, again, go with the uh, it depends typical answer, but um, I work on, you know, work on a yearly goal, obviously with the business. Um, and then the, the, it's really only three years out. I won't pretend that it's longer than that. But um, for this year, obviously, there's a sales, you know, a sales goal and revenue goal that I have on in, in the different areas, as well as, you know, making sure that I have a couple more industries, too. But I actually go with um, a word of the year and to kind of focus. And for this year, it's level up. And it's a little bit silly, but it for, for personally, it means that everything I do needs to be just that amount better. Is it copy? Is it editing it one more time before I send it out? Is it, you know, incorporating a new skill? Is it creating a new thing and, you know, upping the look out of the design element? So just kind of making sure that everything I deliver is hitting a, a standard that I hadn't before. Um, and then with clients, that means that. You know, for me, this goal this year is taking the great number of clients I've had and getting a little bit more sustained um, interaction. So is that more retainers? Is that we are looking and doing bigger things? Um, you know, also, you know, one of my goals, too, is to really have so take the startup work, but add in those that are kind of post series A, um, because one of the challenges for marketing is that. It is not one that is as well serviced by um, spread kits. Generally, a plan, um, having an identity, and then being consistent is very good. And back to your play on social, I could have an amazing social campaign, but if I go dark for the next three months, you know, I've I've lost that. And so, part of that thought of leveling up with clients is, you know, those who a have the mindset that they believe in marketing, and b, you know, some level of sustained funding that it makes sense for them to be able to invest in their campaigns, to be able to hit threshold analysis, um, and to be able to, to really reach their goals. Um, and then the last part of that is kind of the level up in that very cheesy way that gamification has come into everything. And I've been thinking about, you know, so much of what I've done and the past and how campaigns would now change and the expectations have been changed. Um, in terms of what you deliver, right? And add, you know, it's no longer static. I want it video, then I want voice, now I want a carousel. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that element in the digital world. Um, and I, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I, I, I think expectations and experience have, um, and we've increased all of our expectations across the board, right? Amazon, I now don't wanna buy something online unless it can come, not now two days, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, I was also speaking with my parents about uh, church and we, we grew up and, you know, go to, went to a very traditional church and amazing community. 
and, you know, just had some thoughts about, you know, where does that go in the next 10 years? And why does the church down the road get many more followers? And, you know, they've got a band or they've got video systems. And you just kind of think like, are people's expectations going to be that, you know, church isn't something that children just have to suffer through or that they're meant to sit quietly? You know, is it an interactive experience? Is it something where, you know, Sunday school comes to life? And again, totally a tangent, but I just think that there are, you know, everyone is looking for more from the world, from every product, every service provider. I don't just want it to be a transaction. I want it to be an experience. Yeah. And authentic experience as well. I was speaking with a Gen Z marketing company a few months ago, and they said that the difference between millennials and Gen Z's as they were defining it at any rate was that, you know, they were the, they, they birthed the micro influencer. They didn't want to follow the Kardashians around, you know, the world. They wanted to have this person who loved rock climbing and, um, you know, craft brewery and this and that, and then that person, that special nexus, that intersection of, you know, what that person was, that's who they wanted to follow. That's what water bottle they were going to buy next was whomever, what this person said. And I think that those are interesting because it's almost more of a designer moment. You know, when you have these micro influencers, there is much more to them. Someone else on a podcast recently told me that, um, you know, people will spend millions of dollars trying to locate these micro influencers because the bottom line and the brevity of their of their fandom and their their followers was so much stronger than you know the half of, half of the fifty percent of the bots that are following Kardashians right now. You know they were just saying that that kind of um, influence was more powerful. And along what you're saying, it's it's a designer followship, right? It's it's more of a you're getting more from even the people that you're following. You're getting this this very suited experience from everything from. The people you're following online to the products and the things that you're demanding of them. I think there's good and bad to both of that. You know, demanding more from our world seems apropos, given that we're advancing as a civilization. Um, you know, suits should be more comfortable, that type of thing. But um, <laughs> also, I think that there it, it sometimes becomes a little unreasonable. You know, to demand um, too much is you you give up quality in in a lot of cases as well when you start to want everything to look pretty or sound right. You know, you can give up on other aspects that people will suffer from. But I think that's really interesting. I'm wondering, um, we're running out of time, and I really want to know, I'm curious for you in particular, um, because you have this storied past with so many different industries in your repertoire, um, if you ran into someone tomorrow, uh, my favorite my favorite question of all interviews when I wrap up is if you ran across a young woman or a non-binary, a female-identified individual in the park tomorrow, um, and she said, "Listen, I've you know I've I've done this MBA, I've got this economic background, I'm going to kind of launch in and do my own thing. I'm thinking about a consultancy firm. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual?" Sure. Um, I think I would start with saying. Uh, you're already doing it. Um, so there's no need to start doing it. If you're either going, I mean, and marketing is so ubiquitous. So consulting, marketing, you're, you're probably doing it. If you've talked to someone about a product you love, if you share something on Facebook, if you've written a review, um, if you've bought something for yourself and then bought it for your, you know, your sister because, you know, gosh, she needs it too. That is marketing, right? Marketing is positioning products in a way that you care about and being able to share that with people, right? 
Um, and so, you know, this, this hypothetical girl in the park, she's probably already wearing brands and talking about it. And one of my favorite um, studies from Experticity, it says you're 22 times more likely to talk about a brand if you're a true ambassador and true influencer on it, right? So if I love something, and I mean, I see that with myself, if it's a pair of shoes I've just bought, I can really weave that into any conversation, regardless if we're wearing shoes or surfing or, you know, it, it's amazing. You just get excited about these things. Um, so likely you're already doing it. It's just taking notice of it. Um, and that's kind of the cool thing about marketing is, you know, some will say it's subliminal, but really it's, it's everywhere. Obviously there's the obvious ones, the billboards, but then there's so much guerrilla marketing too, you know, it might be a, a sign you love on the side of the road or a sticker that's plastered on it. Um, yeah. You, you know, the Coke campaign, right? Like you think you're just buying a Coke that has, you know, your name on it, but you're really into their marketing game. Right. And just, I, I love all aspects of it. Um, so that would be the first part is that just kind of take note that you're already doing it. Um, the second part is I would say, know what problem you're trying to solve. So when you, you look at consulting, when you look at marketing, um, you know, I can do a lot of fluffy things, right? We can all, you know, put balloons on, um, you know, balloons out and signs up, but really marketing, we should be figuring out what it is. Is it the goal of the company that I'm trying to, you know, end uh, plastic waste? Is it that I am trying to, um, you know, create, uh, you know, a new club and a new, you know, resource center for folks. What is it I'm trying to do? Because um, creativity isn't going to solve that problem if you don't know what problem you're trying to solve. Right. Um, yeah. So, and that probably goes back to, you know, Facebook and other advertising is pick your platform based on what you're trying to solve by it. Um, and then the last is design a strategy. And, and I say this because there's a lot of fear around the word strategy. Um, you know, when I talk to clients, they'll say, ah, oh, like I have this thing, but I don't, I don't know how to go about it. Or um, what, I, what I love is about strategy is just a set of choices to win, right? So you can define your strategy in any way, but list out, you know, if, if you're the scout in the park and you want to get somewhere and you want to start this business, what is it you want to do? Okay, I want to get, you know, two new clients this month. Um, I want to be able to, you know, do more digital design work. Um, I want to try UI. So finding those. Um, and I, yeah. I yeah. kind of the person I think behind that who does it very well. And um, Ayn Rand's books and characters are all can-do people. And I just love that. And I think that, you know, there are folks that they've got a plan and they just start executing on it. Absolutely. The action items, right? One mm -hmm. or the other. And then maybe a little bit of editing once you get enough copy. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So I've got um, number one, you're already doing it. If you're sharing, if you're wearing, if you're doing anything, you're already doing it. Number two, um, know what problem you're trying to solve. And three, design a strategy. You That's got it. Fantastic. I love those three pieces of advice. They're all very actionable as well. And um, they cause a lot of awareness and feature action items out of them. I love that. I know we didn't get to a lot of your nonprofit interests today, and that gives me very good excuse to circle back around and um, <laughs> convince you to come back on again with us, Carrie, and share um, a lot of your, you've got a lot of awesome nonprofit interests. 
we're going to wrap it up today. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time. I know you're really busy and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and information with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. And for everyone listening, you can reach Carrie Fair at statedmarketing.com. And thank you for your time today. Until we talk again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Sunshine.